54% of boomers had less than $100,000 saved for retirement. So as a country, we're facing a huge issue with older adults who aren't going to have the resources to kind of live through this retirement stage and the fourth quarter of life, old age, because they simply didn't prepare for it. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling by holding in-depth conversations with forward thinkers from the design and construction industry, as well as others in the know. Each episode of Construction Disruption digs into an industry that is always evolving with new products, designs, practices, and technologies. Construction Disruption is created and sponsored by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries. Our co-host is our sales manager, Seth Slicer Heckman. Creative director Ryan Ding Bell and content creator Ethan in his prime young are our behind the scenes production team. I sound like I should be introducing a cage match. Maybe not quite. I don't quite have the right vote for no. the right voice for that. Anyway, um, looking forward to today's episode. I've kind of been thinking about something. Seth, you took a vacation day yesterday and you were uh, doing one of those home projects. And it uh, seems like as guys in the construction industry, that should be something we live for, being able right. to do that and pull out the sawzall and all those tools and things. I had a guy ask me the other day, he's like, I sent him some nails. He's like, do I need any special tools to put in these <laughs> nails? I said, well, a hammer would be helpful. Um, but no, he's a great guy. Anyway, um, kind of been thinking about that. So you live in a neighborhood, and I think a lot of your neighbors probably are doing those home projects. Do you, do you enjoy those home projects? Uh, yesterday was kind of nice, a little bit different, doing some uh, manual labor. and um, But yeah, eight hours is about my fill, and then I'm tired and ready to get them done. So. <laughs> and just anxious to get back to work, I understand. Yeah, exactly. So uh, my wife uh, is, I always like to point this out, she's 58. Um, I won't turn 58 for two more days. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I haven't really enjoyed those home projects for probably pushing close to 30 years, certainly 25 years, um, prefer to hire someone and have, let the, let, leave that work to the professionals. They do a far better job than I do. But, you know, as we kind of are hitting this age, we're starting to think about we're empty nesters here now very recently, um, kind of thinking, what does that next part of housing look like for us? And it's kind of interesting. I've kind of realized that Lisa and I maybe have different goals. I mean, I kind of like that idea of, of urban living and having a, a loft apartment and being in community and that type of thing. And my wife kind of more prefers someplace similar to what we have now, maybe smaller, um, but kind of uh, more of a residential home. And um, anyway, that kind of leads well, I think, to our conversation, our guest today, because as I looked at what this gentleman is is doing and developing, um, it occurred to me, you know, this might be the best of both worlds for both Lisa and I, in that, you know, I get that sense of community and, and being close to other folks and having that energy energy of, of being around, you know, close neighbors I know well, um, and yet she still has what she wants, which is her own independent private space. So I'm thinking, yeah, this, this could be kind of cool. So very excited to hear about our guest today. Um, so our, our guest today is someone who um, I think is truly revolutionary in terms of his approach to really what I would call needs-based residential communities. Um, our guest is Matt Thornhill of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Matt is the founder and the CEO of Openly Gray Incorporated, as well as Cozy Home Community. Now, Cozy Home Community is a new model of community for mid-income baby boomers. Kind of matches my wife and I well. Um, folks who want to live with their neighbors as their friends and come together to support and help one another in their retirement age or retirement years. The Cozy Home community consists of rentable housing with two-bedroom modular units that are bright and energy efficient, presenting an easy living option for what they call vibrant adults age 60 to 80. 
I'm close to that. <laughs> um, these communities, I think, as I've read about and learned more, are really true disruptors uh, to really what we often think of what retirement living would normally look like. Because as Lisa and I have talked about possibly what that looks like, this concept never came up. So it's brand new. Cool stuff. Um, Matt Thornhill, welcome to Construction Disruption. Hey, thanks, Todd. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We do appreciate that. Um, so we're excited to hear more about Cozy Home Communities and um, how they are changing the future of construction for re retired folks. Um, but first, I I'd love to hear just a little bit about yourself, um, kind of, you know, maybe what got you to where you are today and uh, perhaps, too, what your inspiration was both for um, Openly Gray and tell us a little bit about that and then also what your inspiration was was for Cozy Home Community. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. It's it's interesting when you reached out to me, it's like, why does he want to talk to me? Because I'm actually not in the construction business. My background is not real estate development. It's not senior living. So I really am an outsider who's coming into this sector to say, hey, there's a different way to do this. So my background, my professional background was always in advertising and marketing. I worked in ad agencies in New York, uh, work in advertising for the first half of my career and the second half of my career. And, and I'm a little older than both you and your wife. I'm, I'm going to turn 62 this month, but uh, at the at tail end of my, the last half of my career, before I started cozy home, uh, I was running a think tank, a consulting think tank called the boomer project, where it was all based on the idea that in the world of advertising, we always focused on young people, 18 to 49. And once you turn 50, you were dead. I mean, we just didn't care about people over 50. I mean, maybe we try to sell you a Cadillac or some Depends or something like that. We just didn't, <laughs> didn't really care about right. older adults. And back in 1996, when the first boomers started turning 50, it became clear to me that actually by around 2002, I started the Boomer Project because I knew that, that marketers were missing boomers altogether. They were aiming too old or they were ignoring them. And it's like, that's too big a segment to ignore. So I started the Boomer Project. We actually partnered up with a, a marketing research firm and started doing our own proprietary research and got hired by anybody and everybody who was waking up to this segment from Walmart to Google to AARP to Hershey's called us up one day and said, Matt, we think people over 50 still eat chocolate. Can you help? <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so it was, it was really stunning how, how we ended up being in the right place at the right time. We were kind of talking about generations before all this hubbub about generations has developed over the last 15, 20 years. So that really helped help launch our consulting practice. Well, early on in about 2005, 2006, the senior living community started knocking on our door saying, hey, help us figure out how to sell uh, to baby boomers because they're going to be our next consumer, our next residents. And we said, no, they're not. They're not at all interested in your current product. No one wants to move into most of the senior living, assisted living, skilled nurse. Nobody wants to go there. They only go there when they have to go there. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, so we, we ended up, you know, taking people's money, helping them understand boomers as best we could. And, and basically as the decision maker for moms and dads at the time, uh, older parents, that went away with the Great Recession. But it came back about three or four years ago uh, when senior living came to us again. And so we really need to understand this segment. And it was about that time that I was thinking, you know, I've kind of run the course on being a consultant, telling people what they ought to do. I want to go do something. And I was uh, had the inspiration for Cozy Home based on conversations I would have with friends at, at parties where the women would get together and they'd say, you know, we're going to outlive our husbands. So we're going to figure out how to live together in retirement. And, you know, in our old age, we're going to buy up a bunch of homes on a cul-de-sac or we're going to take over a wing of an assisted living facility so I can hang out with all my sorority sisters or all my friends or whatever. And that idea just stuck in my head going, well, why isn't anybody building that for them? Why isn't anybody being intentional with community? And I, I will tell you, because I, I know the name of your company is Isaiah Industries and I read the history about it. I was also... Uh, um, motivated by this because I got involved in a church small group. And in the small group, we go through life together. We live intentionally in community with each other. Sure. So I thought, well, why isn't anybody kind of creating intentional community and specifically for senior living? 
So that's what inspired me and got me going into the, the sector and figuring out the uh, there's an opportunity there. Now I can, I can talk for an hour about <laughs> everything that I've discovered along the, the way, but I, I'll let you ask questions and we'll kind of reveal as we go. Well, tell me a bit about Openly Gray Incorporated and what that is doing also. Well, as I said, I'm not a developer and I've discovered that being a developer, I have to rely on other people's timelines, the places where I'm building it and how long it's going to take to get building permits and zoning approval. So I had downtime in between projects. And another thing that had been kind of gnawing at me is um, I, I have seen the, the uh, I kind of look at trends and see what's going on. And one of the trends, obviously, is that boomers are growing older. Boomers are now in the 56 to 74, 75 this year, I think, is the age range of boomers. So whether they wanted to or not, they've really made it to, you know, the third quarter of life and are entering the fourth quarter of life. And, you know, so they're older adults now. They can't pretend to be youthful anymore or, or young anymore. They can be youthful, but they can't be young anymore. And an outgrowth of that is boomers that now at that age have, have realized that there's a lot of ageism out there in America and in society and culture. You know, it's the last ism that it's okay to make jokes about. You know, you can make jokes about older adults and old people all the time and, and still kind of get away with it. So a whole group of, of thought leaders around anti-ageism have, have come up in recent years. And they're out there publishing books and they're forming groups and they're doing a great job of kind of bringing attention to this ageism uh, that exists in society and culture from you know, jokes at the Oscars to commercials to just how we talk about things ourselves. Uh, when we talk about, you know, I made it to another birthday and, you know, it's like we just make jokes about being old. And and sure. one of the things that, that occurred to me is that, well, the biggest, um, I guess, perpetrators of ageism are older adults themselves. We denigrate ourselves. We, we don't admit our age. The fact that you admitted your age, I've admitted my age, is a little unusual. Most people, when they hit 60 and beyond, it's like they don't tell you their age because they're ashamed of it. Well, why is that? I remember when I was 15, I would brag to the 12-year-olds. It's like, yeah, hey, I'm 15. Shut up, you punks. You're just 12. <laughs> so, you know, I can say that to you, Todd. Shut up. You're only 58. I'm 62. You know? <laughs> what do you know? So I looked at that and said, this anti-ageism thing is, is important, but the way that they're going about it seems to be only one side of the argument. And it's all very much, what are you doing wrong? You need to stop doing that wrong thing. And they're always pointing, it's almost like, get off my lawn. It was negative. It was about you, whoever was, was misbehaving. Um, and it wasn't very inspirational. So I thought, there's got to be another way to cast this to look at the positive side, to frame this uh, argument about what does it mean for us to be older? And I happened upon a post on LinkedIn from a, a woman I know who was talking about how she had decided to let her hair go gray and she was now openly gray. And I'd never heard that expression before. Clearly I'm openly gray. Um, and, and I found uh, online that there's a whole subculture of women who are kind of celebrating the fact that they've gone openly gray. And I said, well, wait a second, why can't that be a bigger platform? Why can't that be a platform for all older adults who feel positive about being older? There's a lot of good things about being older. I'm much wiser than I was when I was 30. Sure. You know, I've got experience. I've got wisdom. I've got uh, perspective. I've got all kinds of things. And it's I value it and society and culture should value it. So I'm going to come out of the closet and be openly gray and proudly admit it, and I'm going to try to encourage others with that same mindset to come out. So I formed a nonprofit. We've got a national board, and we're now trying to get a, a movement started. And the way you start a movement is you, you know, crawl, walk, run. We're starting with the first is to get like-minded people like, like me and like others. And you can be openly bald, by the way, Todd. That's fine. I was, I was going to ask if I could slip in there as a subset or something. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And, and we don't really care if you color your hair or not. It's not about hair. It's about <laughs> attitude. You know, what's your attitude? Sure. And it's funny. I've, I've got openly gray. I'll show you. I've got openly gray <laughs> merchandise like T-shirts and cups <laughs> and stuff. And I wear the T-shirt around and I have older adults come up to me and go, I love that T-shirt. I've had waiters chase me out of restaurants saying, I got to get that T-shirt from my mom because she is that way. 
Wow. So it's interesting. We're just starting. We're in early days, but uh, but that's the idea behind Openly Grace. Let's look at this from the positive side. Let's be affirming. Let's try to recruit people into it to kind of say, okay, I've got that mindset. Now what can we go do? How can we uh, attack ageism at, at the root cause, our own behavior, but also uh, ex- outside? What can we do in communities to show that we're still valuable? So that's the idea behind Openly Grace. That's great. I applaud you. And one of the things I, you know, have seen is I, I think, you know, too often the, I, I'd read something years ago. It said that people generally in their careers are in their primes in the late forties, early fifties. They, they have the wisdom and yet things are still firing well. Uh, but you know, I really feel like I, I don't think I've gotten a whole lot worse in terms of my ability to do my work and be a productive member of society as I've gotten older and approached 60. So I love what you're doing. So it occurs to me, though, as you talked, and that was great, um, I don't think we've really told our listeners and viewers, um, really given them a description so they get a visual of what Cozy Home Communities looks like. Could you kind of review that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a picture's worth a thousand words. If you go to cozyhomecommunity.com, you can see, obviously. But the idea is this. it's uh, The idea is a small, uh, single-family home, 1,200, 1,400 square foot, two-bedroom, two-bath, uh, um, one-floor living. You know, tiny homes don't make sense for older adults, so something larger than that, hence the name Cozy Home which is, you know, and you know, in real estate parlance means it's small, but okay. <laughs> um, the idea is that the homes will actually be built in factories. They'll be modular built, manufactured built homes and delivered and installed on site. We're going to put eight homes into a pocket neighborhood, a cluster neighborhood. We call them cozy home colonies, just to be consistent with the branding. And in the middle of that eight cluster is a, is a common house. That's a 1500 square foot round home, round building, that can be configured lots of different ways. And the idea is that the eight residents, the eight families, whomever, who live in that particular colony have something in common, some shared background, some shared story that helps connect them. You know, you can, they say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your neighbors. Well, what if you could pick your neighbors a little bit? And, you know, strictly legally through following all the fair housing and, and such, but there are things that bring people together. I mean, human nature, birds of a feather flock together. Well, why can't we be a little intentional about finding out what your interests are and see if you're interested in this community? Let's put you in a colony where you're going to fit in. And the, the interest things can be things like, uh, you know, th- your background, your former school teachers or first responders, or maybe you're you're all uh, big fans of NASCAR. It doesn't have to be something as, as general as, um, you know, it doesn't have to be as limiting as, well, I'm into photography. Well, that, that doesn't define who you are 24-7. Is there something broader? Like, well, I, I'm into creative expression. So fine, here's a colony for creative expression. Here's a colony for, for musicians or people who like music. Um, and it's, it's based on essentially that, you know, affinity groups. Let's find, find connection points. And the idea is for a cozy home community to consist of multiple colonies, three, four, five, eight colonies, and that makes it then a a community. The second component of it, so that's the physical structure, the second component that makes it unique is is that we want people to uh, help each other in community. So uh, the part of the homeowners association or the community association rules is as long as you're able, you have to commit 12 hours a month to support the community. And the, those tasks can be anything from uh, help, helping make checking in on neighbors on a regular basis. It can be doing maintenance for the community. It can be doing uh, helping somebody with their taxes. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything hard. It can be very simple. It can be going to a doctor's appointment with a neighbor uh, who needs help. And that's predicated on, on the reality and studies that have been done that we are more than willing to help each other, but we're very reluctant to ask for help. So if we set up this, this time bank, they're called, where I've got time I've deposited, I've got 12 hours I've deposited that I'm supposed to give, I'll ask for 12 hours of help too, because it's a give and take. And these have been set up before across the country, these kind of time bank concepts, but no one's tied it into a requirement of living in a community. So we're, we're doing that. 
And one of the questions people ask, uh, Todd, I'll answer it before you ask or Seth ask it, is like, how do you match people up? Is we're going to do the same things that uh, college colleges do to match up dorm roommates. That's exactly what I was thinking. Of. You know, they've studied that. They know what, what to ask, what kinds of questions to ask. And we've got a proprietary system that, that does matching on that. So that's that's the cozy home community concept. So where do you stand today in terms of developing cozy home communities and what kind of is your business model for how you would expand these across the country? Well, that's interesting because so when I first had the idea, the the market I, I wanted to identify was for boomers and boomers, really adults age 60 to 80. Um, and uh, there's a lot of reasons that I, I specifically targeted that group but anybody at any age can live in one of these communities. We're not, we're not going to be age. It's age designed and age intentional, but it's not age restricted. Okay. And what I mean by that is we're building it and designing it for people who don't have kids, you know, but that doesn't mean that people who don't have kids can't come and, and live in the community if they want to. Um, and if they, they feel like they fit, if they fit in the community. So what, what happened is, as I was developing the concept, my consulting career was kind of winding down, and we were doing a period of lots of work in the senior living space. And I would share the concept with people who were already senior living operators, who run those continuing care retirement communities, where you come in at independent living, you go to assisted living, you go to skilled nursing or memory care, and then you, you leave. <laughs> Um, and those operators, there's really two classes in America. There's the for-profit side, and then there's the nonprofit side, most of which started anywhere from 50 to 100 years ago through faith-based organizations like churches as homes for widows and orphans. And in the 80s and 90s, they morphed into these uh, continuing care retirement communities, and now they're called life plan communities. They're the ones who have a uh, – you have to pay a, um, an entrance fee, and then you pay a monthly fee – to cover your three meals a day. So those operators out there, the, especially the nonprofit ones, when I would talk to them, they'd go, Matt, where are you going to build these, these communities? And I go, I, I don't know. I've got to find land and I need cheap land because I want to make it affordable for the middle income boomer. Well, they said, we got land. I go, what do you mean? We got land. We squirreled away over here for future development. Why don't you come build it here? I'm thinking, why, why would they want that? And it turns out again, because I'm not in that sector, it turns out they're under a lot of pressure from local municipalities to say, wait a second, you guys are now building $70 million, you know, projects, skyscrapers, and people have to pay $150,000 to come in and five, $6,000 a month to live there. And you're a nonprofit supposedly serving the needs of the community. Who are you serving? And the answer is the top 5%. So what they've decided, essentially what they've realized as an industry, as a sector is we got to have, other solutions. And we've got to have a solution for the middle market. And I showed up with this middle market product that they go, well, duh, we'll do that. And then we can check the box. So that was my go to market. That was my, how am I going to do this? I'm going to use like any smart entrepreneur, other people's money to do this. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to various folks in senior living and I actually had about seven or eight of them lined up when I launched in January of 2020 who were keenly interested in how do we bring this to the market. So we launched in January of 2020. We had various meetings. And I don't know if you're familiar, but there was an event around March 16th of 2020 <laughs> that kind oh, of put yes. a kibosh on everything. Yes. Um, I, I could not predict a pandemic that specifically targeted and killed older adults, but there you have it. That's what we had when, when COVID came. And essentially that, that COVID fog put everything on, you know, no planes were taken off and no planes were landing at Cozy Home Airport. Um, so we've come out of that cozy fog or that COVID fog, and we're now back uh, where we uh, essentially started. And we've got three projects that were in various stages of either initial development or pre-development. One is in Minnesota, one's in North Carolina, and one is in St. Louis. And one is with a senior living operator. One is one that we're doing on our own as a strict uh, traditional real estate development where we're going to build them and sell them as opposed to rent them. And the one in North Carolina is a strange little thing where an affinity group came together about five, six years ago and said, we, we like hanging out with each other. Why don't we build ourselves a retirement community? 
And they went around and knocked on the doors of the traditional retirement community providers in North Carolina and found that nobody wanted to build them a community. They found me and said, oh my gosh, you've already got what exactly what we want. Can you come build a cozy home community for us? So we're, we're in plans to do that, uh, working through uh, all the early steps of development to get that project done. Very good. So if any of our listeners out there would be interested, they'd be welcome to contact you and say, hey, let's talk about what it would take to do this in my area. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Go ahead. Oh, the the model I think in North Carolina where you're going to build and then sell them. What are the? How are you going to maintain that affinity um, beyond you know the first owners of those homes? Well, uh, well, the one in North Carolina is actually the affinity group already. Okay, sorry. So yeah, it's in Minnesota, but that one's just a strictly um, you know buy it and sell it. And quite honestly, we don't know how we're going to create the affinity uh, gotcha. for that one. So we're, we're trying to figure that out. Uh, again, it's really how you kind of design it, build it and market it that says this is housing for people like this and try to attract the, the malls to the, to the flame that way, as opposed to say it's only for people like this uh, sure. because it's not, it's not going to be, but it's designed and intended to be, you know, older adult, active adult is really what it is um, housing. I can easily imagine that taking off the well and that you have a resident and they have friends who don't live there yet. And they're saying, Hey, why don't you come here? And yeah, I I could see that really taking off well. Well, and that's what happens already, Todd, in in the senior living places, the independent, the the one person who finally decides they're going to move into independent living, makes the commitment, moves in, and then they talk their friends into it. Right. You know, and they build their own little community within that larger senior living community. So in another week, my wife and her lifelong girlfriends are going to be at my house doing Christmas cooking, baking, and I'm the only guy that's invited because it's my house. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll make this topic of conversation. I can see them really enjoying this, uh, having fun talking about this. Neat, neat stuff. Well, it's interesting, Todd, uh, you say that because, uh, again, now that I've launched it, I've had people say, well, when are you going to build one for me? Because the product we're building now is really, uh, you know, moderate income, moderate size. They're like, can you build a a larger version for us? It's like, oh, well, of course I can. I mean, anybody can. It's not that complicated a concept. There's nothing kind of magical about it. Uh, But that's not my intention. I'm actually trying to fill a need that's not being met in the marketplace. One of the things that drove me to this is that, um, again, studying baby boomers, there's a 54% of boomers in a survey we did, national survey, 4,000 people in it, 54% of them had less than $100,000 saved for retirement. And you're like, well, what are you going to live off of? Wow. And they said, well, we'll live off of Social Security, Medicare, and the equity in our home. And we're like, well, good good luck with that. And not if you don't sell your home. Because you don't want to reverse mortgage. That's not a good financial instrument. So maybe what you ought to do is sell your home, keep that cash and come rent a cozy home from me. And then you'll have money to, to live off of and pay for your medical expenses because Medicare doesn't cover, cover everything. Sure. And when you think about that, 54% is like, I don't know, 35 million people. So as a country, we're facing a huge issue with older adults who aren't going to have the resources to kind of live through this retirement stage and the fourth quarter of life, old age, because they simply didn't prepare for it. Then on top of that, another statistic that that made me say, okay, we got to figure this out, is that 40% of boomers today in their late 50s through their early 70s don't have a spouse or partner. So four out of 10 don't have a second income, aren't going to have a second social security check. They're on their own. And you think, okay, well, how does that compare? Well, 20 years ago, when the last generation was this age, only 20% didn't have a spouse or partner. So it's double. And on top of that, it's a larger generation. So we got lots of singles out there. And well, who's going to take care of them? How are they going to live? And the answer is they're going to have to come together. They're going to have to, you know, the Golden Girls model. Remember that TV show where the, <laughs> the five older women were living together? That's the model. I'm sure your your wife and her friends are going to say, we're going to just buy a big house and all live together. 
They've already said that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because no one's building something where they can all live separately, but live together. Very interesting. So you you shared some statistics. It definitely sounds like there's a uh, increasing need and, and maybe something that really, I have not heard of anyone else specifically trying to address it. So, uh, so, so the units you described would be built off-site. I would assume that chances are maybe there might be a common design and you would take it to various modular buildings who are located fairly close to the community development. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, the housing units are important, but they're not, uh, they don't, it's like the design of it and everything is, is important just from a livability standpoint, but how they look and and how they could be different from market to market and colony to colony is is okay. That's not really a driving thing. It's That's not the magic sauce is the house. Right. It's the configuration, it's the community, it's and the reason we went with with uh, modular off factory built homes was we looked at uh, essentially the housing construction industry two years ago, you know, 2019, and said, okay, what is the future of housing going to look like? And getting housing built, given the labor shortage, and you know, how do you how do you maintain quality? How do you deliver it? And we said the manufactured home, you know, what you guys know the the way we've built houses hadn't changed really that much in a hundred years and technology has affected so many other categories and it's just late to the construction industry. You know, the, the, the way we build houses, the way, where we position, I don't know, they, the reason that the uh, outlets are, you know, 16 inches off the, off the floorboard is because they could put a hammer down and mark the line. It has no bearing on, is that the right height to put it at? It was just, that's how we build houses. So we looked at all of that and said, we, we know that the housing industry is going to change. The materials are going to change. I'm not betting on 3D printed houses anytime soon, but but I think we're going to use different materials. Heck, one day we might use metal on roofs. You just never know. Never know. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You've touched on. So I, I think Gary Fleischer helped get us connected, and, and he is the, the mod coach that we had interviewed a few episodes ago. We also have interviewed uh, Ed McNabb, who is big into 3D printed housing and uh, talked about those opportunities as well. So um, if, if these are modular offsite built, um, probably would fall under the RV code rather than standard building codes or it'd be standard building codes? Standard building codes. Okay. Um, I mean, that's one of the big uh, misnomers and issues that the you know manufactured home industry or the modular home industry faces is that everyone thinks that whatever comes out of the factory is on rails and on wheels mm-hmm. and they're not. So our partner for the project, for example, in, in uh, Minnesota is a, about 150 miles away in Wisconsin. It's called Wisconsin homes. They've been in business since the, for 50 years, since the seventies, I think. And they build a product that you would go in and, and look at it and, and go, this is basically a site built home. The site that they built it in happens to be the factory. Every aspect of it is this exact same. It goes on a standard sure. foundation. It can go on a basement foundation. It can, you know, it just comes on a on a truck and gets stitched together in about a, a two week time period on site. So once it leaves the factory, you can move into it in thirty days, pretty easily. So, so really, with that description, as far as getting these uh, cozy home communities permitted to be built in certain areas, really shouldn't have any major challenges in most communities uh, yeah it it shouldn't knock on wood it shouldn't right um, our our strategy has been so far to go into more rural uh, areas uh, less developed areas just because you don't have all the rigid rules and regulations on zoning and and permitting quite the same they're a little more flexible uh, it's a small county in, in Minnesota that we're doing. It's a rural county in North Carolina. Um, and, um, you know, we do have a density issue typically because we want to put eight units. I didn't tell you this, but those eight units fit on an acre. Okay. So you, you run into that. But if it's zoned multifamily or you can get it, uh, get them to look at it as a, a horizontal condominium, there's all kinds of kind of workarounds in in the code and in, in the, um, the zoning laws and regulations by municipalities. But the good news is, is that there are others ahead of me 
pushing for changes to zoning. The, the folks who are building the accessory dwelling units, you know, the tiny homes, the, the standalone units to put behind somebody's house so grandma can live there. Sure. You know, they're, they're already kind of laying the groundwork. And there's a, an understanding. The good news is, Todd and Seth, it's, you, you guys probably know, there's not a community in America that doesn't face a housing, a housing issue. And I'm coming in and saying, look, I'm not going to build $400,000 mansions. I'm going to build homes under 200000 I mean, under $300,000 that are affordable for middle income for, for workers. It's basically affordable housing for workers and retirees. So it makes it a much more attractive thing from a zoning standpoint. In fact, here in Richmond, we're a, you know, a metropolitan area. The surrounding counties are metropolitan areas, 350,000, 400,000 residents. I've talked to the county supervisors in two of the surrounding counties, and they both said, if you find a piece of land and you want to build it on it, we'll find a way to get the zoning approved, even if it's not on the books now, because they want to be able to offer this to residents and, and citizens of their communities. So certainly demand and need is going to help pave the pathway in a lot of cases. That makes sense. Right. What are some of the biggest challenges you see in, in establishing a, a cozy home community? Well, uh, quite honestly, it's it's finding the right partners and finding land that is affordable. It's interesting. Uh, one of the opportunities we're pursuing for uh, partners with land are churches. Oh. Because churches uh, across the country have had to rethink their whole business model thanks to COVID. Um, you know, every church in America is now a multi-site church because they're beaming their worship service into somebody's home. So it's like, okay, I've got this giant asset over here, this building that's not being used. I've got all this land that we're not necessarily using. And churches themselves squirreled away land years ago for expansion. And they're all rethinking that and saying, okay, is there something else we should or could do with this land to serve the community? and creating affordable housing for older adults, meeting this coming crush that we're gonna have. I'll give you another statistic, Todd, that really opened my eyes to it. So there's an organization called the National Investment Center that tracks senior housing and senior living. They did a study with Harvard and University of Chicago and others a couple of years ago, and said that by 2030, there would be somewhere between eight to 10 million boomers in their mid 70s who need to live in senior supported housing. That's what they call it, senior supported housing of some ilk. Doesn't have to be high end or, or, or you know, HUD 202 housing, uh, affordable housing for people in, in poverty. It just seven, uh, eight to 10 million people. And I thought, well, that's a huge number of unmet need. That's what they call it. They called it the forgotten middle of the market. And that made me think, well, wait, how many people live in senior supportive housing today? I had no idea. I asked people in the sector, they had no idea. So I had to go look it up and looking at numbers from the CDC who tracks this kind of stuff, turns out that there's a, under 3 million people live in any type of senior supportive housing today. That's from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. That's from, um, you know, independent living in a senior community where they have services, supportive services, all the way through memory care and skilled nursing and, and even hospice. Three million today, and you're telling me that in less than 10 years, we're going to have an unmet need of eight to 10 million? Goodness gracious. So I, I'm not going to solve that with Cozy Home. I'm not going to build enough of them, but somebody needs to get out there and start building something because yeah. we have a lot of need out there. So- Wow. So for all of our listeners and viewers, certainly a, a good opportunity for folks looking for opportunities. Um, you had mentioned to me before a list of trends that you see influencing senior living. Um, how do those play into these and you know, what sort of information might you be able to share with folks that uh, would allow them to dig further into those? Sure. Well, cl clearly, you know, I, I started looking at the demographics. The number of people over 65 is going to grow by about 35% from today to 2030. That says boomers all age into 65. There's been a statistic that's gone around in the sector for the last 10 years that says every day 10,000 boomers turn 65. And that's meant to scare people into action because every day there's 10,000 more boomers reaching age 65. 
And the problem with that statistic is that it makes it sound like, well, once makes it sound like it's a one-time event. And once boomers all reach 65, it's, it's going to be done. The truth of the matter is, if you look at the Census Bureau's projections to, through 2060, every day until 2060, 10,000 people are turning 65. Wow. There's no drop-off after boomers. It's just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. So if you're looking for a recession-proof business, it's going to be housing for, for older adults because we're going to keep developing tech, you know, uh, medical advances allow us to live longer and live healthier longer. So, sure. so the demographics is the big driver. Uh, and my focus on the middle market is driven by, you know, those income numbers I shared and the fact that they don't have partners. So all of the demographic trends, but then there's all the technology trends. You know, we, we knew that, uh, that eventually uh, we would kind of welcome and accept telehealth in America I didn't know it was going to happen in about a month, thanks to COVID, but it, it did. COVID kind of accelerated a lot of these trends. I knew that people would eventually grow comfortable with kind of on-demand services, have it come to me versus me going to it, telehealth being one of them, but all, all kinds of services. Well, that happened faster, thanks to COVID. People getting used to getting their groceries delivered or their prescriptions delivered picked up pace with, with COVID. So there's trends like that, on-demand transportation. You know, I'm not going to put a bunch of older adults into a, a small bus to cart them over to the supermarket. I'm going to order up Uber or Lyft and have them drive them over there. So all of those things made me think of, okay, it, what do I need to provide in a cozy home community? Actually, I don't need to provide much. It's all on-demand. It can all come to me. You know, the model for senior living in the past has been build a huge campus and have all the resources there on campus inside the walls. Well, that costs a lot of money. That's why they're paying a lot of money. What if you strip all that out and outsource it? You know, I don't need to have a maintenance crew. I'll, the lawn service guys will come in once a week or once every two weeks and take care of it. Or the people who live in the community will take care of it. So it's all kinds of things like that that I leaned into. In the, in the society and cultural trends I looked at, it's like, okay, there's the green movement, the sustainability. People are looking for smaller footprints. The tiny home thing is already picked up, but they don't make sense. So smaller is better became a part of the trend for cozy home. Um, the fact that we're, you know, again, used to online shopping and, and online deliveries, those were important. And then when I looked at the construction business and said, okay, labor shortage is going to mean that people are going to be looking for different ways to build and how to build. And how do we do uh, different structures and do 3D printing and how do, how do we deliver product? Um, and how do we build houses so that people of all ages can live there and all abilities? You know, maybe it's time that we make the hallways a little bit wider than 36 inches or the doorways a little bit wider than 24 inches inside the house into the bathrooms, for example so that they can come in with a walker or a wheelchair. So all of those trends are what we looked at to kind of pack into how are we going to be living 10 years from now? Uh, I guess the last one is the, the whole, uh, you know, technology aspect of it. There's a huge sector that's all called age tech, which is how are we going to help older adults, you know, live in their homes longer? Because that's the preference. People want to live in their homes. I'm just creating new homes for them, but it's still a home. But how do, how do we keep them safe in there? How do we know what's going on? And there's a, a huge billion-dollar industry developing around technology to help people stay in their home from, um, you know, the t telehealth connections, from things that monitor, did they get up in the night to go to the bathroom or not? Have they checked in? And, again, I looked at the, the trends out there and the technology out there, and I'll give you an example. You remember the product um, – years ago, the, the pendant that you could wear, the watch that you wore that says, I've fallen and I can't get up. Sure, and it sure. calls for help. The personal response thing, I think it was called. Well, there's all kinds of new technologies around that that people have developed, like put a, a, a radio sensor up on the wall that can track whether or not you fell. So you don't have to wear the device anymore. It, it tracks you. And if you fall, it will then notify somebody because it's, you know, internet enabled. Those are great, but you know what else works really well for that now? An Apple Watch. An Apple Watch can tell if you fell and can call somebody and say you've fallen and you can't get up. 
So there's sure. technology that we're looking at and saying, we don't need to build it into our house. It's going to be on your person. Hmm. You're going to have the technology and it's going to enable you to stay in our home safely. So interesting. So all of those are trends that we're leaning into. I know my, my sleep number bed knows if I weren't to get up in the morning, it knows that and could tell somebody, I guess. Interesting. Not sure anyone would care, but um, <laughs> no, it could certainly tell somebody. So you, you talked about accessibility, and, and actually one of our past guests also was uh, a lady by the name of Dr. Rosemary Rossetti, who works with Universal Design Living, which is a lot about aging in place. Um, but anything you think you've come up with that were kind of surprises or new ideas that you've come up with that you think um, might be really um special for residents of a, of a cozy home? Well, I, I think that the, uh, the way we've put together this, uh, and it's going to be a, you know, tablet-based or phone-based application to kind of uh, check on in on each other and to provide services to each other. Now, I'm not talking about people, hey, can you come over and help me take a shower and help me with my activities of daily living? We're not, we're not talking about those kinds of services. Um, that's, the, <coughs> excuse me. Another aspect of by having, you know, five colonies together, we're going to have 80 households, I mean, 80 residents in 40 households, typically. Um, and the houses, I didn't mention this, the houses are going to be designed for a couple or for uh, roommates. So it'll be okay. a, a master and a spare or two master bedrooms. Because again, we know people are going to want to live together who don't have spouses or partners. But again, if we have 40 of these homes together and have 80 residents in the home, it's not hard for us to bring in, bring in a visiting nurse who comes three days a week to check on people. Um, and it's essentially all, it's not that come together and, and be, you know, residents where we will take care of you as an, as a, you know, uh, overseer. It's come live in community where you'll take care of each other. And that's just, no one, you know, we did that when we were growing up. All the families kind of took care of raising the kids in the neighborhood, but we just don't do that anymore. And we do that a lot less. It happens, it happens by chance, and I don't want it to be by chance. I want it to be intentional. So that's the biggest difference. Neat stuff. I, my sister, who's a few couple years older than me, she lives in an apartment project or apartment complex, actually shares a dog with one of her neighbors. So they've got this dog that goes back and forth between the two apartments. I I think that's that. pretty cool. That's good stuff. And, it, and it's ideal if one of them has to be out of town or something. I mean, you know, well, then the dog just stays at one of the places. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it happened by intent. I think the dog made it happen, but uh, still kind of a cool thing. I don't think you can do that with cats, though. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that might be hard to convince a cat. <laughs> so what opportunities exist for anyone out there who might be interested in partnering with you or, or getting involved with a uh, cozy home uh, community idea? Uh, there, there's plenty. We, um, again, like I said at the beginning, I'm not a real estate developer, but I had the good sense to actually find and partner with a company that does uh, development in senior living and senior housing. They actually build uh, doctor's offices and other things. It's called Avenue Development out of uh, Indianapolis. Uh, and they embraced the concept because they want to create, they're, they're actually run by a bunch of 40-year-olds. And they've embraced the concept because they look at senior living and say, somebody's going to figure out a better model. And they see this as a, as a better model. And our hope is to build, you know, get one or two of them done as a demonstration and then hopefully have a line out the door for, for others. But just building it as a straight real estate development is what I'm doing in, in Minnesota. Could this concept also apply for, I don't know, veterans? Could we build it on land, you know, an, an Air Force base and create homes for veterans that's affordable? Could it solve some of the homelessness problems? I don't know. They're not, not tiny homes. They're, their homes are a little more expensive than that. Could it work for starter homes for millennials in, in high-cost communities? Uh, my business partner who's working with me on the Minnesota project is out in Denver. And he's like, Matt, I know you can't find land out here, but we need to build these somewhere out here, maybe a little more rural around uh, surrounding Denver, because there's absolutely no housing for people who want to have a starter home anymore. It's just priced. Starter homes are 600000 and up. And that just doesn't make, make sense. 
So I think there's lots of opportunities in lots of places across the country. You know, we're starting where we can, but we think once we get even the one in Minnesota, the plan is once that one's done, there are other areas in southeast Minnesota that are desperate for middle income, worker housing, active adult housing for older adults. So we think there's there's plenty of opportunity. So anybody who wants to explore that, we're open to talk to them. Good stuff. Well, we're uh, pretty close here to closing out our time. This has been really enlightening and very interesting. Um, so before we do close out, though, I have to ask if you would like to participate in our rapid fire questions. Do you have a sound effect for rapid fire? Rapid fire. That's there we good. go. That, that works. Was, that was my best impression of <laughs> you doing a sound effect for rapid fire. <laughs> so these are seven questions that um, could range from serious to silly, and and your only commitment is just to give us a quick answer for each one. Um, our audience needs to understand that if Matt agrees to this challenge, he will have no idea what we're about to ask. Matt Thornhill, are you up to the challenge of rapid fire? Oh, yeah. I'll stick my neck out. Go ahead. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Here we go. Toothpaste brand. Don't use it. No, I'm kidding. Don't use it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think currently it's Crest, but I'm not loyal to either Crest or Colgate. It doesn't matter to me. That's that's good. That's funny. In my household, my wife and I have separate favorite brands, so we make that work. Favorite breakfast. Uh, I don't really eat breakfast. I have like a, a nutrition bar for breakfast. Uh, but favorite breakfast, gosh, would have to be blueberry pancakes. Oh, good one. Favorite place in your home? Uh, favorite place in my home? Pro probably my uh, chair in front of the TV. There you go. Yeah. Have you ever had a nickname? And if so, what was that nickname? I'm not telling you that. <laughs> I was a middle child, Todd. People were mean to me when I was little. So no, you're not getting that. Okay. Well, that's a good answer. Would you ever skydive? No. Yeah, that's my answer to that too. No way. <laughs> Maybe when I was younger, but again, with age comes wisdom. <laughs> Have I ever told you that the first time my wife was in a plane, she jumped out of the plane? Seriously. Yeah. Or she. This was the intent, I assume. Right, right, right. Uh, skydiving and first flight were the same for Nicole. Yeah. I, did she just do it once or she done it since? Yeah, just once. I could see her doing that. Yeah. Though. It does not surprising. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Would your 15 year old self look at you now and think you're a cool guy? <laughs> That's funny. I have a 16-year-old daughter who does not think I'm a cool guy. So, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, final question. What item would you love to see invented? Now, I asked this of someone once before. They had a cool idea. They said a self-loading and self-unloading truck. Now, that was pretty neat. Um, so, it doesn't have to be that exciting. But what item would you love to see invented? Oh, I, I don't know. I I've been an idea guy my whole life. I mean, part of my job in advertising was to come up with ideas for clients. Sure. So um, I've, I've had a million ideas. I haven't gotten rich on any of them. I, I don't have this idea I have is not, I'm not trying to do it to get rich. I'm trying to basically open up people's eyes to a different way of, of doing community building and being more intentional Love about it. it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I need to pay my mortgage, but it's, I'm not driven by money. That's, that's not the factor, but uh I said all that to stall to see if I could multiply. I, I do. You were. I do. <laughs> Not, nothing, nothing immediately pops to mind. We'll, we'll catch this next time you're on on the uh, podcast. I'll tell you an interesting idea that I have uh, recently come across that it's like, geez, why didn't they think of that before? Um, and it's it relates to senior living and senior housing. It's it's a proactive version of Alexa. Oh. Because Alexa now is just reactive. You got to talk and then she'll tell you something or Google or whatever. Right. Uh, these folks have developed a, a software add-on on top of it where you as the, as the adult child can program or the caregiver can program questions and time that Alexa will ask whoever, let's say it's mom at a independent living or in a cozy home or something. And it's Alexa can um, tell when it hears noise that they're up and moving around. And Alexa would say, you know, hey, Mary, how was your sleep last night? And whatever the answer is, 
depending on the answer, will send that message to daughter at her work. It could be a thousand miles away to say, you know, here's what Mary reported this morning. And at 11 could say, hey, Mary, did you remember to take your pills this morning? Or, hey, Mary, would you like to listen to the news this morning? At noon, it can say, hey, Mary, what are you having for lunch? To just prod them and and engage them, but proactively. And it's like, duh, what, you know, I know Alexa's listening to me. (laughs) Why aren't you talking to me? That's fantastic. And and what a way to help um, keep people aging in place and staying in their homes with, with that sort of technology. Yeah. It's kind of like my, my phone. Every time I get in my car on Sunday morning, my Siri knows I'm going to church and gives me directions to church. Now, I'm thinking, if you know well enough that every Sunday morning I'm going to church, she probably should assume I know how to get there at this point. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's interesting. Yeah. Hey, this has been a real pleasure. Um, thank you. It, it just seems to me like you're onto a very positive thing that's going to be great for society and for our culture. And um, certainly you've proven well that, that the need is, is approaching and here. Um, and so that's important as well. Is there anything we haven't covered today um, that you'd like to share uh, with our listeners and viewers? Um, I, I don't think so. Great conversation. Uh, great topics that you brought up. Uh, Again, if they go to CozyHomeCommunity.com or OpenlyGray.org, they can learn about both of those organizations and, and what we're doing. Um, and again, we're open to talk to anybody on either topic uh, because it's going to take a village. And, you know, I'm the village idiot, so I need more villagers to help me uh, bring this online. Uh, you're hardly an idiot. This is great stuff. So uh, would through the websites then be the best way for someone to connect with you? If they yeah, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> Very good. Well, Matt Thornhill, Cozy Home Communities and Openly Gray Incorporated. Um, Again, this has uh, been fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. Well, Seth, I really enjoyed that. And, and it was kind of interesting because of Matt and I being similar age and he's doing something to kind of address some of the needs that I see coming up here in my future as I think about it. Um, you know, you're a much different stage in life, um, but yet you may be part of those ongoing statistics where he's talking about at some point it's going to be your age. It's part of that, what do you say, 10,000 turning 65 every day. Yeah, unbelievable. So, you know, what things did you think about as you listened to him and, and what impact this will have even on your future career in, in the construction industry? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And I'm excited that there's guys like Matt and, and you out re-envisioning what that stage in life can look like. Because I think my generation hasn't had the same vision or hasn't been drawn to the same vision of what retirement years looks like. And so knowing there's people out there uh, 30 years ahead of us kind of reimagining and uh, giving us new ways to dream about those uh, those years and, and plan for those years is exciting to me. But um, yeah, that stat 10,000 every day, you know, the stat of less than 30 million living in assisted living currently and projected just 20, 30, nine years from now, almost eight years from now, uh, coming up on, uh, it's going to be eight to 10 million. So thinking about, you know, the greatest opportunity in construction or the greatest need, which thus creates the greatest opportunity, definitely going to be a segment where money's going to be spent, investments are going to be made, and thus we can then meet those. Um, and wondering, you know, is that going to be the future of construction becoming a little bit more targeted, more specific needs for more specific groups of people, understanding that as technology advances, uh, people are going to want more catered solutions. So understanding that too, and a more rifled approach of who we're targeting and um, people are going to be willing to make those investments if it's the best solution for them. I remember 30, 40 years ago, you know, there was a lot of talk of the upcoming baby boomer generation and that they were approaching their years of most disposable income. And, you know, it's interesting uh, where Matt talks about, you know, how he's always looked at 
that group as it goes along and as it ages. And it's still a very viable, important group that, you know, still has disposable income. And yet now what we're talking about is how are their needs going to be changing? And it seems to me kind of like you're saying that that's really anyone who wants to be a disruptor in construction and whether that's building or build outs of interiors or whatever it might be, um, keeping a close eye on this sort of underserved aging market. And, uh, you know, the other thing that's changing too, and Matt alluded to it, is uh, people are not only living longer, but they're staying more active and staying healthier during that time, uh, thanks to medical advancements. So it's definitely a, a huge, huge opportunity coming up uh, for anyone out there who wants to uh, take advantage of it and kind of envision what are those needs going to be and how can they be filled. Absolutely. So thank you, Matt, for uh, dreaming for us and a great conversation. So thank you to everyone for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Matt Thornhill of Openly Gray Incorporated and Cozy Home Community. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. Um, We always have lots of great guests on tap coming up in future episodes. And please don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Until then, we encourage everyone, change the world for someone, make them smile, bring them hope, encouragement, um, all things that we can do that are very powerful things to really change the world for somebody, one interaction at a time. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.